0: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Bite Into It, 7.02pm, very happy to have you with us on this Wednesday evening. A big thank you to Dan Keeley for the last three hours of Out on the Patio, Monica Sabir will be back next Wednesday from 4 to 7pm. Tonight on Bite, we're happy to have Dan Salmon behind the panel. Good evening. Good evening and we've got Lily Ryan with us from a secret home studio setup. Hi folks. Hey, great to have you with us. So tonight, we are investigating how a local app is tapping into elements of mindfulness during lockdown and teaching us how to knit. Well, teaching us how to knit exactly what we want. Um, Then, what happens if we stare into the pond, narcissus style, and the pond stares back? What if that pond recognises us? We reflect on the past few weeks of facial recognition news and what it might all mean. Um, so Lily, as well as being a special guest co-host this evening, is a bit of an expert in all things um, security and uh privacy so she'll be bringing some extra insights into that space before we get into all of that our regular news section this evening dan what's been happening with netflix well look it's um a a
1: God, they've they've tweaked their uh, UI a little bit to make it a bit easier for you to um, get rid of those shows that you might have started and then within five or ten minutes thought nah that one's not for me. Um, so right right now um, when you log into most of the various platforms for Netflix, um, you'll have a continue watching section at the top of the list. So that's good for things that you might have you know paused on an episode or um, you know left left a few to watch later. But what uh generally happens is that if you've started something that you don't particularly want to continue watching it will still still stay in that continue watching list Netflix now has a remove from row feature to make it easier for you to remove those titles from your currently watching offerings. Now, this, you know, is great not only because it's, you know, decluttering thing, your Netflix queue with things that you don't really want to watch. But also, you know, if you've got something that's a bit embarrassing and you might have someone special coming around to Netflix and chill, uh, they will, uh, you can clear it away and they, they will be none the wiser.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, no, no, I never started watching that animated special. Yeah,
1: <laughs> totally, totally. One, one I'm thing, a total grown-up. Absolutely. Well, no, just this. this. Totally, yeah. Maybe you know my love for space documentaries isn't as cool as I think it is, and um, I should. Possibly, it is that cool. It is that cool. All right, well, I'm okay with that. But um, what I will say is, it's great that Netflix is doing this. I do want to give a dishonorable mention to the SBS on Demand app because their continue watching um, kind of list doesn't allow you to. Um, do anything other than to pick up exactly from where you left off. So for someone like me who is generally prone to falling asleep during something on the couch, um, I will miss a few episodes and then have to go through the entire rigmarole of finding the show on SBS On Demand again to actually go back to the episodes that I've missed. Um, so uh, please lift your game, SBS. We know, I know that you've come well. for cash, but and we, but, um, we, we, we pay for you and it would be nice to be able to do
0: things. <laughs> well, if we're shaming we other streaming services, yeah, then Apple ahead. TV has to get a go because if you are mid episode and then you turn off you opt out when you come back there is no resume mid episode option no no it's like you've rented something from the video store you've got to fast forward try and find where you were you know come on where in the lin manuel documentary was i (laughs) but but then apple tv
1: does have some great screensavers. i love flying over hong kong I'm i'm a big fan of that one (laughs) Only if
0: you've got the most up-to-date Apple TV. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Um, And enough about
1: that. (laughs) Let's move on to some news of substance,
0: shall we? I feel like there's a whole segment in this another time. I've made a mental note. (laughs) In other news this week, we have a new supercomputer. And when I say we, I mean Australia. Australia, but really it is the researchers at the Australian National University. They've got a new computer called Gaddy, and it's one of the most powerful of its kind, and it is the most powerful in the Southern Hemisphere. I love those Southern Hemisphere planes.
1: Oh, that's anyway, for Brazil.
0: <laughs> it has been unveiled this week. It operates 24 um, 7 every day of the year, and it uses an incredible amount of electricity, as you'd imagine, the same amount as it takes to power a medium-sized suburb. Uh, they they are using it for a whole lot of massive computational um, problems, and the name is um, is one that has significance to uh, First Nations people. It was chosen in consultation with the United um, Gunawal Elders Council. And uh, it's also adorned with custom artwork from the community, so it's a really, it's a really nice touch. Uh, it sits twenty fifth in the world ranking of supercomputers, and it's been a seventy million dollar uh, program to get it done. So I guess we we look out for some of the modeling that might come out of that. The Bureau of Meteorology is um, planning to use it to create fire atmospheric models in a bid to better understand how they might behave, for instance. So there could be really great outcomes for Australian-based research. So that's an exciting supercomputer article. There you go. So, Lily, what's been happening in facial recognition news in Australia this week?
2: Um, This week, uh, on Monday, there was some news that came out that said that... um, Someone had observed 7-Eleven in Australia have deployed facial recognition um, in their stores. Some stores have started putting signs on windows to say that facial recognition is being used in the store. And if you go into the store, then you'll consent to that being used. And um, in in response to that, um, 7-Eleven, a spokesperson from 7-Eleven said that the, um, the facial recognition is being used in conjunction with an app called Race It that they've deployed in stores um, to get customer feedback. So, it's all about customer metrics. Um, But at the moment, the signs are fairly vague. The one that I've seen um, reported on says, you know, this site is under constant video surveillance by entering the store. You consent to facial recognition cameras capturing and storing your image. So, that has caused a little bit of concern in some parts of the internet.
0: Mm. Pretty interesting that it's happened at 7 Elevens when, um, you know, lots of them are attached to petrol stations and petrol stations are one of those areas where you did often see those you were being surveilled while you're at you know while you're getting petrol here sort of things i wonder if they think it'll be a bit of an easier in
1: mm. and, and realistically what need do they have for facial recognition in customer feedback because are they going to contact me directly about my uh complaint about the heat of the sausage roll like i don't really... it sounds
2: it sounds a lot like what they're doing is the app there's an app on an iPad. You know those ones you go in and it says, click the smiley face to show how happy you are with the service? Mm. Um, which also, I suppose, has some interesting implications for our post-COVID world as well. But... Um, the idea is apparently that the camera is going to capture your face to make sure that you're not gaming the system by, I don't know, coming back five times and clicking the sad face or, um, (laughs) someone playing with the app. I think that's the idea that I get from, um, from what the spokesperson said and from the product website, but the sign does make it a little more vague. Um, the, it does seem to imply that stuff goes outside of the scope of that particular app. Mm. Um, who knows? I mean, the sign that I
0: saw was just printed off on someone's you know desktop printer. So, who can really say? Yeah. You would be wondering: is there sentiment analysis at play here? You know, is that person smiling while they click the smiley thing on the iPad or not? Are we getting contradictory information here? Or, or,
1: or maybe Seven Eleven's gearing up to do an Amazon Go and give you some kind of you know facial recognition automatic pay as you leave the shop thing. I, I mean, I,
0: I think we should dive into this later because the range of things that they could be collecting and and making decisions on could be pretty interesting. Absolutely. Look, this was also the week of Apple's annual Worldwide Developers Conference. It's the first time that it's been completely virtual. Um, And I feel like more people I know did not bother to stay up for the crazily timed for our uh, geographic location um, sessions, but people were still tweeting about it the next morning. Um, We're going to talk more about some of the developments that they announced later later after our interviews tonight. Before we get there, um, we want to get to our first interview with uh, Bellish.co Knitting founder. So, Dan, what are we going to hear?
1: Triple R on RRR. FM RRR. Digital RRR. Online via the app.
0: Welcome back to Bite Into It with Dan, Lily, and Vanessa. We're going to switch Lily into guest mode from co-host mode because she is doing double duty tonight. So, Lily Ryan is a penetration tester, a Python wrangler and a privacy enthusiast and a history buff. Tonight, we invited her to co-host so we could continue our recent coverage of facial recognition technologies with a local expert lens. Thanks for being with us tonight again, Lily. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, So, look, we've been hearing some announcements over the last week from IBM, Amazon and Microsoft um, saying that they're going to halt their programs in this space in the absence of regulation in the area it's um it's pretty unprecedented for silicon valley companies to be like begging the government for regulation what's the significance of this moment to you
2: well um for me personally it's something that i know that i've been um talking about and advocating for for a, a really long time um for a couple of years now and I, I suppose that at the moment it's happening mostly because of the Black Lives Matter movement, in, in particularly in the U.S., but globally as well, putting the spotlight on the fact that a lot of this technology is biased, um, particularly against people of color, and also in terms of gender bias. There's a lot of inaccuracy in the kind of results that it turns up. And I was really impressed that the way... Um, the way in particular that IBM led that charge, and IBM has had, I think, the strongest response to to all of that by saying that they're just going to stop work. I know Amazon said they're putting a moratorium on it for one year in the context of policing. Um, and there are a lot of caveats involved in that statement. So I'm really interested to see what happens in the next couple of years, particularly as the new cycle rolls on, which I well, it probably will, um, and... We we lose focus on the issue.
0: Yeah. Look, I was um, particularly interested in viewing this in the context of last year. We saw a real wave of activism from employees within these mega tech companies, and uh, Microsoft ones are really significant. This year, we've seen Amazon employees go to bat for uh, workers with poor conditions in their warehouses. Um, we've we've seen lobbying being from within the corporates. And I wonder if this speaks to um, a different sort of uh, sense of corporate responsibility landing at the individual level and is, is there a trickle-up effect happening in these companies when we start to hear waves on an issue like facial recognition? What is your, your sense of, you know, what's happening in this cultural moment for tech workers?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I know that there's been a lot of um, a lot of changes that people have been calling for for years that are happening right now in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement. This is one of them. Um, a lot of other kinds of reckonings, renamings, um, questions are happening and you know actually being asked and addressed at a really high level that haven't for a long time. Um, In terms of whether the advocacy of the last few years has had an impact on this as well, I'm I'm not as sure. Um, I'd like to hope that it's contributed. But at the same time, I think that it is part of the cultural moment that we're experiencing. And it was interesting to me that IBM's... um, that IBM's response was so strong, because historically they've had their own issues with that kind of thing. Um, you know, going back to even World War II, you know, they were the ones who supplied computers to literally Hitler. So for them to come out now and say, well, we're not going to do it in this instance is a fairly strong move. Um, I'm not sure that they, if they're alluding to that particular history, but it does, it does put it in an interesting context.
1: Uh, absolutely. And Lily, I suppose like we're looking at a, a moment where, you know the activism is is making these companies think twice about what they're doing in terms of you know we can do it but should we do it are we are, is are you seeing are you are you thinking that perhaps it will be a kind of we'll get the technology to a point where it, where these inherent biases aren't there and then we'll push ahead with it or do you think it's going to be a thing where like you know what maybe we don't need facial recognition <laughs>
2: Um, I'd like to see people think about how they can solve the problems that they're looking to facial recognition to solve in other ways because it's not necessary that te- technology is always the solution or that that particular kind of technology is the solution to the problem that you are trying to solve. Um, people have a history of jumping on things because they-, they sound buzzwordy or cool or futuristic or because they'll get funding, and that's that's pretty normal. But um, it would be, yeah... It would be really interesting I think to see how how things would progress from this point. Mm.
0: I think we have to make it clear, too, we're not expecting you to answer all these questions <laughs> on behalf of the tech industry. I think the way oh, we create is slightly odd. Can you please speak? Hi, yes, well? I'm
2: representing the, uh, the entire tech industry. I, I'm sorry, US. Lil.
0: It's just we've become completely socially awkward since lockdown and, uh, you know, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. Look, let's, let's step back a bit and talk a little bit about um, what sorts of problems facial recognition can cause uh i think that for many people the first time that they've personally uh used anything with a facial recognition uh, angle to it has been if they've got a phone that will let them unlock it with facial recognition um so biometrics and things what what other sorts of uses are we are we seeing of facial recognition at the moment
2: we've seen quite a few for a while um As we discussed earlier with the story about 7-Eleven, putting up signs to say that they were using facial recognition in store, it's being used in a marketing context fairly often. People want to understand who these people are, who are coming to the space, and sometimes sentiment analysis is performed, you know, how are they feeling, Um, shopping malls have used it, uh, particularly Westfield has used it, um, in their shopping malls around Australia to track pedestrians inside the malls to advertise to them. That's probably the biggest use, I think. Um, Outside of that, it does does vary. So the context is different when you're talking about somebody unlocking their phone with a facial recognition or a face print. That's something that we're in control of as a user. We've decided to turn that particular thing on for our phone. We don't have to use it. We could use a, a fingerprint. We could use a passcode if we wanted to. But when we hold the phone in front of our own face, we're doing that with our own agency and our own consent. When we're going into a shop, that isn't something that we necessarily consent to. I don't think it's something, I'm not a lawyer, I don't know if it's something that we have to legally be told about. Um, I don't recall being informed of that any time I walked into a shopping mall, for example. Um, the Seven Eleven signs are interesting because I, I wonder you know, the impetus behind putting those out there. But It does mean that we don't really know when it's being performed or how. It also doesn't have to happen at the time. Um, There have been instances, you know, the protests in Hong Kong um, last year were an instance where they were doing a lot of high-resolution image capturing of the crowds. And it wasn't because they were performing face rec on them at the time, but that they were aiming to store those and do it later. (laughs) <laughs> and also do it later when the technology had improved so that they could do it in um, more accurate ways.
0: That sounds like the sort of uh, approach that Clearview AI has taken. So a couple of weeks ago, we we spoke a bit about them and how they have amassed the largest database of um, personal images, predominantly scraped from what they say are publicly available sites. Um, however, there's, there's some there's some qualms that people have around the definitions there they've been served with a lot of cease and desists from lots of the major players and uh, often they're getting around it by saying well we didn't go and scrape you directly twitter facebook profiles we went and scraped a third party person who'd already scraped you and then we scraped them so you need to find that little guy you know (laughs) it's just it's it's a bit it's a bit of a furphy um I, I wonder, you know, when we look at the sorts of problems facial recognition can cause, you know, clearly the main, you know, a main point of appetite for these services are law enforcement, um, security, national security, that sort of thing. Uh, so so when, when do we start seeing problems with the application of facial recognition
2: in those law enforcement contexts, it is the most problematic because that is where you have um, people who have the legal power to have a say over whether somebody is incarcerated or not, um, mingling with these sort of algorithmically driven decisions that are being made when you come to a facial recognition database, for example. Um, And because when when we talk about facial recognition, we're talking about a broad range of technologies. It's not just IBM or Amazon. They all have their own implementations of these things. They train them on different data sets. They have different accuracy um, levels in terms of, um, well, not just um, in terms of um, race and gender, but overall. Um, And they use different methods to detect faces in some cases. Um, And so it's really hard to, pin down something and say all right this is facial recognition but yeah we um we do have a really interesting i think relationship when it comes to law enforcement that we don't really know how accurate the technology is depends on what that law enforcement um agency chooses to use yeah and also then there's the information where it's stored um, whether it's within, you know, your jurisdiction or somewhere else, who else has access to it, how accurate it is, um, and and then what it's used for, whether it goes on someone's permanent record, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. I guess we come to a few walls that we often come when we're having discussions about privacy, which is, um, A, I've got nothing to worry about because I've done nothing wrong. Um, in the case of facial recognition, what would your response be to a comment like that?
2: That's, that's always a really interesting one. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of think about it in the way that you would think about, um, say walking around town, um, you know, in the before times in the normal world, if you've been walking around (laughs) town, um, in a crowd, remember those? Um, and I'm frightened already. (laughs) (laughs) I know people shaking hands. um, If you were walking around, reaching out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's always the likelihood that you might go somewhere and be seen by somebody that you didn't want seeing you in that particular place. So if a family member saw you in a part of town where you would not like your family to see you, that's always a possibility. And then, you know, maybe that family member tells a different one and it gets back on the grapevine that way. Um, So I think we always stand the chance of being recognized when we're out somewhere in the world. The difference with this is that it's kind of like if your, your nosy uncle or whatever could have searched the entire city for you, found out every instance of where you were for the entire week, and then sent that to your mom. So it's this kind of omnipotence and omniscience that really makes the difference between somebody by chance recognizing you down the street, which is a very human thing to have happen, yeah, and somebody
0: thing.
2: being able to keep tabs. Abs on you at all
0: times. I think that articulates it very well. Um, and I think you've already mentioned that you know people who uh, have intersections of minority status are at more risk of being mistakenly identified. I think that it's important that you raise that because some of the defences that you hear from these companies, like Clearview AI, for example, are that oh, well, you know, it's not that facial recognition is good or bad. It just has to be done really well and then it's always good. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully our listeners are feeling a little bit empowered to push back on that on that concept. Um, as a last question to you on this topic, I wonder, um, you know, what would you like people living here to be thinking about as our government starts to regulate in these spaces and um, implement facial recognition technologies across the, you know federal government
2: um, people living here you mean in Australia
0: yeah yeah I didn't want to say citizens because I mean more than citizens yeah right
2: yeah um, I that's I mean that's a really broad kind of question
0: yeah um, I guess it's like, what can we be aware of to be engaged, informed, digitally literate people living here Mm -hmm. while we, you know, try and talk with our government about what we think is reasonable and how we set community standards?
2: Yeah, um, so I think that um, asking for a more robust legal framework around these kinds of Uh, These kinds of technologies is really important because at the moment, our existing legislation, as far as I know, doesn't cover that in the kind of ways that it would cover, say, um, you know, your home address and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the frameworks at the moment to move, uh, to protect them and that move as quickly as this. So, um, you know, advocating for, for that. Would be one thing, and also advocating for transparency around the technologies that are used and the accuracy of those technologies is also important. One of the things that was always an issue with um, with Amazon, with IBM, etc., has been that they aren't always independently audited. They're certainly not independently audited as far as we know before they're released, and so it's only been researchers afterwards, sort of poking around from the outside, who have been able to get these results. So. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about how we might want to do that in the future and the kinds of um, guarantees that we want as a member of the public about the accuracy of the technology that is going to be used because we can't always opt out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, so much food for thought there. I think we've just got to keep a real watching brief on this because um, it's it's really uh, having a moment worldwide. Hey, Dan, I think we've got a few messages before we talk about the Worldwide Developers Conference. This is a podcast from Triple
2: R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au
0: last little bit of Triple R's Buy Into It with Dan, Lily and Vanessa. Thanks for being with us this evening. Uh, we couldn't have the show without mentioning that the Worldwide Developers Conference had been on, on this week. So, we wanted to brief, briefly mention a few of the things that had happened during it, Um Let's have a quick look. Give me one second while I <laughs> juggle my windows. All right. So one of the significant changes has been Apple announced it's moved on from using Intel processors inside its computers, and uh, that's a that's a real big change for them. They'll be moving to the proprietary ARM based ARM based chip family that they already use in iPhones and iPads. So I don't know if you've noticed, but if you hop on like an iPhone these days or an iPad. The the processing is lightning fast mm. compared to like and even noticeably compared to when you hop on a MacBook. Um, so that is where people can expect to see like some real changes. Dan, were you following any of this? I
1: was. I, I do. I do want to make an observation. To just sort of the the death of Intel in in Macs is kind of a bit of the an end of an era in that everyone was so excited when they started putting Intel chips into Macs because it meant you could run back in the day when, you know, we weren't using cloud-based uh, programs. People who were using stuff like, you know, Autodesk products that were only made for Windows computers couldn't use them on Mac computers and it allowed you to run Windows in a clunky way and actually kind of almost bring us to a point where, you know, there was a bit of ubiquity in, in I suppose, software cap- compatibility. Um, we've obviously moved well past those days but it's, 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 it's kind of a bit of End of an era. I was actually a little bit sad to hear about that. But as you, as you say, lightning fast, and it's going to be, you know, good for Mac users.
0: Yeah, look, um, something that was hugely significant and picked up a lot on Twitter was uh, drama around App Store approvals. Um, and specifically, there's a, there's a small company who have an email type service called Hey, as in H-E-Y, And uh, they started tweeting about the problems they're having getting their latest version of the app approved. Now, in 2011, Apple decided that if you made people pay to use your app, you had to use Apple's proprietary in-app payment system and pay Apple 30% commission. So they are a closed shop and you could say that, you know, this is um, offering in a protected type of way. Um, And within the EU, we're seeing antitrust type of movements towards Apple based on these sort of decisions. So there's so much detail in it. It's really not something we can go into today, but we might go into with some of the amazing um, app developers in Australia um, in a future show. Sorry, Dan.
1: No, no, I I think it's interesting that we're getting to the point now with the WWDC that they're not announcing anything kind of amazing anymore. Like I suppose this year might be a a bit of a, a different you know, we're in a different ecosystem, obviously, with regards to lockdowns and everything else. But there wasn't like a a, a groundbreaking announcement this year.
0: Yeah, I feel like there were so many mini announcements, and uh, that's probably uh, you're right. It represents something about a change in the way that Apple uh, handles its marketing, not with quite the usual aplomb.
2: Well, I've also heard that they announced that the Apple Watch can now detect if you're washing your hands. So that's good to know. <laughs>
0: yeah, in a, in a... A ver- a, an announcement. For our times, yeah, absolutely. In a um, so surveillance we're way. very quickly going to get to an event. Dan, do you want to quickly call out? Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: So um, uh, our good friends at Melbourne Webfest are going ahead with Melbourne Webfest this year. It is the was the fourth festival of its kind in, in the world, uh, celebrating the idea of uh, web series and web content online, uh, video particularly. Uh, funny that so they are um, going ahead with the eighth festival. It will proceed purely online, which I suppose is kind of apt when we're talking about uh, an event that celebrates its online videos. Um, The program launches streaming this Thursday. Um, They'll reveal the official 2020 selection with Australian and international spotlight selection for series made under $50,000 and their student series showcase, which will present a number of emerging screen producers. Uh, If you head to uh, Facebook and search for Melbourne Web Fest, uh, you'll be able to uh, stream it there. And uh, good luck to those guys, because we do really love them.
0: Perfect. And I wanted to call out that... uh contributor to the show, Laura Summers, has her amazing ethics litmus tests available again, very relevant to these sort of offerings. Hey, a big thank you to our guest this evening, Megan Elizabeth, sorry, Megan Elizabeth from (laughs) Bellish, and to our hosts, Lily Ryan and Dan Salmon. Thanks to Talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy. We've been bite into it. We'll be back next Wednesday evening.